Well, thank you, Stephen, for leading us. Um, that has been just a great addition to our worship on Sunday morning, having the kids come up here and um, just join with them as uh, they learn what it looks like to follow Jesus and value um, the nations and uh, learn prayers and, and Bible verses. But I am, am thrilled to be here this morning. It's always good to worship with God's people and to worship with you, uh, my church family. But there is something really special about this morning and the passage and the story we're looking at. And I just love preaching to you all. Um, I love to preach, but there's something special for a pastor to get to preach to people that he pastors. And so I know and love a lot of you, and it's a joy uh, just to reflect on this really important story uh, in the life of the church. And so today's Palm Sunday, um, as we all know, because we, we raise those palms, um, and this is, this is a day that really begins Holy Week. It's kind of the, the introduction to Holy Week. And it's where the church remembers and reflects on this story of Jesus entering Jerusalem. Ultimately, that will lead to his death and resurrection. So this is last week of his life, and there's this story of his triumphal entry. And uh, Kyle read uh, the, the story from the Gospel of Matthew, uh, and there are four different Gospels in the New Testament, and each gives a unique perspective on the story that's kind of filtered through what's happened, but also through their own personality and their experience following Jesus. And so we're going to look uh, this morning at John's uh, story in John 12. And so if you want to flip there, that's going to be where we are, and I'm going to read that text for us. But I want to give you just a little bit of context. Whenever we're in narrative literature, it's really important for us to understand the flow of the story. And that's why it's so fascinating to study narrative literature in the Bible because there are themes and sub-themes and characters, and the author is really trying to do something with these things. And so if we think about the context of the passage that we're reading this morning, it's John 12, 12 to 19, the triumphal entry. But right before that, there is a very interesting story. There's a dinner party where Mary anoints Jesus with oil. And the oil that she anoints Jesus with is expensive. It was probably equivalent to a year's wages in the first century. And of course, that causes a commotion. Judas is like, what are you doing? We probably, a lot of us would object if a gift like that was given uh, at a dinner party. But Mary anoints Jesus with oil. Some gospel writers talk about how she covered his entire body with oil. And that follows Jesus as he enters into Jerusalem, the fragrant aroma of this oil that he's been anointed with. And he says that it, it's, it's to prepare him for his burial. But before that, in John 11, Jesus has performed one of his most astonishing miracles, raising Lazarus from the dead. Lazarus was one of his friends, and he died, he became ill and he died, and Jesus went uh, to Lazarus and his sisters, Mary and Martha. Uh, he was friends with them. He visited them frequently. And Lazarus had died. And Jesus goes and raises Lazarus from the dead. And this story was really the climax of Jesus' ministry. So we have a transition happening in John 12, 
where Jesus is turning his ministry really to its final weeks. And this miracle of raising Lazarus from the dead is, is aggravating the, the buzz and the attention. It's aggravating the, the religious leaders. And they're saying, that's enough. We got to deal with this guy. And they begin plotting to kill him. And it's in all of this tension between light and darkness, between Jesus and his kingdom and the prevailing beliefs of the day. It's within this tension that we find ourselves in John 12, starting with verse 12. And so I want to read it. And after I read it, I will say this is the word of the Lord. We do this every time that we read God's word at Mosaic. And I'll invite you to respond, thanks be to God. And this is a way that we participate in the reading of God's word, and we confirm that God has not left us in silence. He's he's provided us truth and life in his holy word. This is John 12, verses 12 to 19. The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they heard he had done this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, you see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone, up, has gone after him. This is the word of the Lord. Be to God. Let's pray and ask God to illumine his word for our hearts and minds. Father, we pause right here. We need truth. Truth, I pray by your spirit that you would bring it to the front of our minds, that you would nourish our hearts with the realities of who Jesus is and what he has done. Teach us now in this time, and I pray in Jesus' name and by the power of the spirit, amen. So I want to start uh, this morning with a pastoral invitation. I want to kind of pastor us towards this passage. Because I want to reflect on this story of the triumphal entry and just really draw out what what is this passage teaching us about Jesus? And why is that significant for us in our time and place in 2022 in the city of Richardson? But I want to make just a pastoral invitation at the beginning here. I think it's easy in church world, especially when we come to these church calendar weeks and seasons, maybe Christmas and season of Advent or Easter and Holy Week, it can be real easy to just kind of go through the motions. And just kind of like, this is what we always do. Yeah, I've heard that passage before. And, you know, it's, we hear, hey, this is how you celebrate. Get excited. Wait. Learn how to wait. But we just, we don't really connect with it. Our heart's not in it. And the motions, I'm I'm not saying don't do the motions. Go through the motions. The motions 
are a great formational experience that we have in the church calendar. But what I want to invite us into this morning is integrity and curiosity. That as we move into Holy Week, as we celebrate the resurrection, I want to invite you into integrity. Being honest when your heart doesn't line up with the externals. When you're invited to celebrate and praise God, but you don't feel like praising God. If God wants all of us on our good days and our bad days, if he wants our grief, our pain, and our joy and celebration, we're free to be honest with him and to acknowledge there's a disconnect. But with that honesty, I want to invite you into curiosity and ask the question, why is that disconnect there? Why is my heart so slow to get to the celebration of Jesus? Why am I not broken over the cross and the death of Jesus? Because I believe in those moments of disconnect that God is trying to teach us something deep and rich and profound about ourselves and about who he is. And so let's look at this story, the triumphal entry What is this story teaching us about Jesus? There's a few things that I think we can say. Jesus is worthy of celebration and praise. That is just on the face value. I think we we see that. If you read through the gospel story, you catch that. He comes into the city to celebrate the Passover with his friends And he he has drawn so much attention. There's been so much stir about him that the crowd grabs these palm branches and they praise him. They celebrate him. It's interesting that the palm branch is a symbol of power and victory. And the crowd sees Jesus as a victorious one, as someone who possesses God's power. Divine power has come to meet with us. And they praise this young, controversial rabbi. Hosanna! Blessed is he. Blessed are you, Jesus, because you come in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. This is a reference from a psalm that would have been recited in part of the ceremony of Passover. So it was fresh on their minds, and they attribute it to Jesus. And yet... That last phrase, even the king of Israel, is not a part of the psalm. They've added that piece. Everyone has heard about Jesus and his ministry, and they're really praising him for two reasons. The first reason is the triumph of his ministry, and the second reason is the triumph of his identity. The triumph of his ministry, he's done a lot. I mean, you read through the Bible, and it's whoa, he's casting out demons, he's defeating the powers of darkness, enduring temptation from the devil. He's demonstrated his power to heal, to perform miracles, and he's opened up God's truth like no one, ever, no one has. People would say of him, he, he's, he teaches with so much authority. And he had this ability to open up God's truth in a way that made sense to people and wasn't oppressive 
like putting a yoke on someone. And definitely the memory and, and the story of Lazarus' resurrection is on their minds. He's raised Lazarus from the dead. And this is Jesus' victory. And he performed this miracle to demonstrate that he had power over death. Ultimately to foreshadow his cross, the cross and resurrection. But then also, he, there's a triumph of his identity. And this is important and it's, it's significant and it's robust. But all throughout the gospel stories, we see little whispers and pictures of people attributing an identity to Jesus that is really significant in the Bible. We see Jews and outsiders. You think about Nicodemus, who was a Pharisee, a religious leader of the day, and he snuck to see Jesus in the middle of the night. And he said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. The Samaritan woman who meets with Jesus at the well, she interacts with Jesus. Eventually she says, Sir, I, I perceive that you're a prophet. There's something unique about Jesus. When Jesus feeds the 5,000, he multiplies fish and bread for the masses. And it just keeps multiplying and multiplying. At the end, the crowds, they, they proclaim, this indeed is the prophet who is to come into the world. And this, was, this prophet was known as the Messiah. And we read in John's gospel that at a certain point, the crowd was trying to force him and make him king. They wanted him to take his throne. But Jesus slipped away and disappeared. And we have to remember that these are people who have been oppressed for years. There hasn't been a prophet in 400 years. And Jesus shows up on the scene. They've heard whispers of John the Baptist, but Jesus is with the people. He's teaching. He's in town. He's meeting with folks. He's performing miracles. And they wonder, is this the Messiah? Could it be? All throughout the Old Testament, there has been this promise of a figure, this messianic figure who would deliver and save God's people and establish a forever kingdom. He would rise up as a prophet like Moses from the royal lineage of David and bring peace and restoration to Israel. And, and the hope, the messianic hope in the Old Testament, it is multifaceted. There's a lot of descriptions and it's very robust. But two things jump out, two categories. First category is a political king. There's a political king who would have a forever kingdom and reign in righteousness and peace. And then the second one is a priestly king. Isaiah talks about him as the suffering servant who would deal with sin and serve as an intercessor. Jesus fulfills this messianic hope, but he also expands God's salvation plan to all nations. And this aggravated people in Jesus' day. 
it was, there was a nationalistic bent on the hope of Messiah, and Jesus presses against this because this is a part of God's plan of redemption. Because Jesus is worthy of celebration and praise, but he's also what humanity has hoped and longed for. He's what, all, he's what we all crave and long for. Because the promise of Messiah is the promise of a savior king for all nations to bring unity, to bring peace, and to reign in righteousness and goodness and love and compassion. One who offers salvation from sin, death, and the devil in a restored kingdom. But this savior king comes in an unexpected way. And we see that in this story. And that's, that's what this story is trying to get us to see. That God often shows up in our lives in unexpected ways. Jesus shows up riding a donkey, not a war horse. This idea of a triumphal entry was very, very common for the crowds. They, they got it. They, they almost created it. But typically, it was a king coming on a war horse or with an entourage of glory and jewels. Everybody's in their uniforms. And Jesus comes riding on a donkey. He wasn't wearing armor. He's probably wearing just a cloak that resembled his hometown in Nazareth, a rural town. He smelled like perfume, not blood and sweat. He shows up in this unexpected way, and we wonder, what is that about? Why is Jesus showing up on a donkey? The donkey was not an animal that a war hero would be riding. It was an animal that resembled an animal that a man of peace would ride. A priest, a merchant, someone who is bringing a message of peace and a ministry of peace. And this is definitely a symbol of Jesus' humility. But it's also a theological statement. The image of Jesus on a donkey gives us a window into what God is like. It shows us something about who God is that we couldn't see, we, we couldn't comprehend because we're so caught up in a king that comes in power to conquer. And Jesus shows up on a donkey because God wields his power not to wage war, but to wage peace. And he's willing to be defeated to secure it. He's willing to suffer to establish a reign of peace. That's how far he wants to go. That's how far he's willing to go. Because Jesus provides what we need. God has provided what we need in Jesus. Not what we want, not what we often expect. He's provided what we need. There's a deeper story going on in this story about Jesus riding on a donkey, triumphant as a king. There's a deeper story because the Jews had this well-developed, deeply embedded belief that when Messiah would come, he would conquer Rome and establish their nation as like a superpower. That's what they wanted. 
And, and remember, like we understand, this, this nation has been oppressed for years, and there hasn't been a prophet in 400 years. And they desperately want to experience victory. They want to experience redemption and deliverance from oppression. They had this really well-developed understanding of the political Messiah, the king coming in to reign, setting up Israel as a superpower. But the priestly king was just kind of in the shadows. This idea of a suffering servant, it didn't take center stage. And I was reading about uh, this passage and some of the Old Testament passages that are referenced And I I read somewhere references to rabbinic literature where they actually are struggling to see how these two themes come together. Because of their situation, they took the promise of Messiah and attached it to their own agenda. They took the promises of God and filtered it through what they wanted, what they craved, what they expected, and they missed God's God's plan. Excuse me. Throughout Jesus' ministry, he had been dropping hints all along the way that the Messiah must suffer and die. He dropped it all throughout his ministry, and the disciples just, they were deaf to it. I I don't know if you ever experience if you're married with your spouse and they have selective hearing, and, and you say, like, don't you remember I told you that, like, four times? I, honestly, like, I really have no recollection of you ever telling me that. Right? That's what we do oftentimes. We tune things out that don't really fit our personal agenda. And that's what the disciples did. And even at one point, Jesus is unpacking this reality. He's saying that the Messiah must... He's going to be betrayed, he's going to suffer, and he's going to die. And Peter rebukes Jesus at one point. He pulls Jesus aside, hey, listen, man. Yeah, about all that, you don't, you don't need to do that. Like, we got a great plan. We got a good thing going. This is what you're, he rebukes Jesus. And what this tells us is that this belief is so deeply embedded in the Jewish consciousness The crowds are celebrating their own idea of a king who will conquer Rome and take back their nation. And the moment they realize Jesus isn't going to do it, they turn on him. They turn on him bad. Hosanna on a Sunday, crucify him on a Friday. He showed up in an unexpected way, and he didn't give them what they wanted. So they dropped him. This deeper story is what I believe God is inviting us to hear and to receive and to consider. Yes, Jesus is worthy of celebration and praise. And he is everything we have longed for and hoped for. But Jesus also provides what we need, not always what we want or expect. There's an article that I was reading about someone's reflection of this story, the triumphal entry, and his journey uh, with a chronic pain illness. 
It's a great article. And he says this towards the end of the article. He says, Jesus is a king, but not the kind they wanted. He will serve rather than be served. He will die and not be killed. He enters unarmed, waging peace. This makes a larger point that God does not intend to meet our expectations. Instead, he meets our needs. God's plan was different than the crowd's plan. This is a story of triumph. It is. And Stephen was talking about we see the story through the lens of the cross and resurrection. And we say, yes, this celebration is, Jesus is worthy of it. He has triumphed. But his triumph was not in conquering Rome. His triumph was not claiming his throne and building some superpower. His triumph was on the cross where he died, where he suffered, where he bore our shame. And even while he does it, he says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Even on the cross, we see a glimpse of the mercy of God. In Jesus, we have a king who sees past the noise, past the circumstance, past the brokenness of the world to provide what we need. And what we need most deeply, most importantly, is forgiveness and reconciliation with God. And Jesus, through his work on the cross, He provides forgiveness and reconciliation with God. And what that does is it establishes a restored relationship with God through the work of Jesus, by the power of the Spirit. And it's in this restored relationship that we receive wisdom from God, that we we receive power to endure life in a broken world, where we receive safety and security in the arms of the Father. This is what we need. And the question that I think is worth reflecting on is what what if our disappointments with God are actually invitations? Most of us have had an experience in our Christian life. Maybe it's an illness. Maybe it's a family struggle or a bad boss. Whatever it is. And you pray and you pray and you pray. And God doesn't answer. He doesn't do anything about it. He doesn't heal. He doesn't get you a new boss. And we're left to endure and to keep the faith and live out the gospel. And there's a disappointment there. And I wonder if those disappointments are actually invitations to reflect on something deeper, something richer, something more profound. That what if there's an opportunity in that to to feel the freshness of God's goodness amidst suffering? What if there's an opportunity to affirm and delight in the sufficiency of Jesus as we endure a trial. And that's, the invitation is 
Just be curious about that. To consider, hey, Jesus provides what, what I need, but it might not line up with what I want. I think that this can help us. Because if Jesus provides what we need, then we can thrive. We can thrive in a broken world as sinners and sufferers, as people who are hurt and wounded. We can thrive because Jesus is enough and he's worthy of being celebrated. He's what we crave and he provides what we need. What this story teaches us is this. That worshiping Jesus is about trusting who he is and what he is doing, even if it doesn't line up with what we want. Trusting Jesus for who he is as a Lord and Savior, as the king riding on a donkey, waging peace, not war. Coming to his people who will ultimately reject him. And he comes because he knows deeply what we need most is forgiveness. And this can only be accomplished with his death on the cross and his shed blood for our salvation. I want to close with a story. The story right before the triumphal entry is the story of Mary. Mary anointing Jesus, the private dinner party, And as I said before, the oil was really expensive, like a year's wage in the first century. And she she spills it out all over Jesus. And she lets her hair down to wipe the excess, which would have been shameful. And what we see in the gift that Mary gives Jesus is radical abandonment. She wants to honor Jesus most she knows how to do. And some people would argue that Mary was one of the few that actually heard Jesus when he was unpacking the will of God and the plan of God that the Son of Man must be betrayed, suffer, and die. Everyone else had selective hearing. And we hear of Mary at the feet of Jesus. And based on her actions in this story, we see Maybe she heard Jesus. Maybe she knew what was going to happen. And I just, I, I just love this idea of her gift following Jesus the whole week. And he says that this gift was to prepare him for his burial, foreshadowing the cross. And I, I just, I think the example of Mary set against the example of the crowds is such a great example of what I think this passage is inviting us into. Because Mary, she trusted Jesus because of who he was. She knew him. She was his friend. She didn't want to see him go and suffer and die. But she heard him, even when it didn't line up with what she wanted. And it's from that place that she honors and worships Jesus in a way that is so profound and rich. 
And I wonder if God is trying to grab our attention when he doesn't answer our prayers, when he doesn't deliver us from a trial. But he's enough. He's good. And the story of Jesus on a donkey is helping us get a window into what God is like. He's not a God that is waging war. He's a God that wages peace. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this story, for your unfailing love for us, for your truth and your wisdom. And I I know who I'm preaching to. And I know that we have people in this church that are suffering with diagnosis, with illness, with miscarriage, with troubled marriages, with painful pasts. And I know that this truth weighs heavy. So I just pray that you would, by your spirit, plant your truth in our hearts and minds to bear fruit. Would you encourage and embolden us to remain steadfast in a broken world for your glory and for your kingdom. And we trust you and give our hearts and minds and our lives to you and pray you would bless this week of Holy Week and our celebration of Easter and just continue to remind us of this image of Jesus riding on a donkey. We thank you for all that you have given us in Jesus, and we pray in his name. Amen.